This is the Place for a Purpose podcast. We want to help you live out what Jesus said was the most important thing you could do with your life. Love God and love your neighbor, including your next door neighbors. So we're going to keep neighboring on your mind by encouraging you with practical ways to connect with those next door so you can live knowing you've been placed for a purpose because your address is not an accident and neither is your neighbor's. Hi, everybody. We're Chris and Elizabeth McKinney. Welcome to the Placed for a Purpose podcast. And today we're going to talk about the ordinariness of neighboring. Hmm. Boring. Oh, come on. Boring. You think ordinary is boring? Yes. Ordinary can be extraordinary. Okay. And we're going to talk about that. It's a hard sell to you today. We'll get there. Today, we're going to talk about, like I said, the ordinariness of neighboring and how ordinary actions of love towards our neighbor's over time is a way that we can see God work. And we need help in sustaining those actions over the long haul because neighboring is not a microwave. It's a crock pot. It's low and slow. And we're going to give some very practical examples of things that we can do and try in our neighborhood with our neighbors. And so last episode, we talked about a parable of Jesus, the parable of the mustard seed. And we're going to start with another parable, not from Jesus, from another really great guy, a great author, Tim Downs, who wrote a really great book that has really helped us embrace the ordinary. It's called Finding Common Ground. And in it, he talks about this parable of the soil. And we could describe it, but it's better to read it. Yeah, it's really good. The Parable of the Soil. Once upon a time, there was a farmer who lived with his own family on a great farm. Each spring, he went out to his fields to sow. As he wandered through the fields, scattering grain to and fro, he watched the tiny seeds disappear into the cracks in the earth. How I hate to sow, he thought to himself. I shall have to wait weeks before the seedlings even appear. This sounds like me. All summer, the farmer tended his fields. He hoed the long furrows to loosen the soil around the young plants. He watered the thirsty roots, and he pulled away the choking weeds. How I hate to tend the fields, he thought. I shall have to bend my back and wipe my brow for three more months before the harvest. Finally, the harvest season came. The farmer waded through the thick golden bounty. He bundled great sheaves of grain, he gathered great clusters of grapes from dewy vines, and he plucked scarlet fruit from the bowing trees. How I love to harvest, he thought. I will hold a great feast. This is like our last episode when you were talking about the harvest feast. My wife will bake the bread and my children will press the grapes. We will eat and drink and rest from our labor. When the feast was over, the farmer began to think about the planting season ahead. The harvest is scarcely over, he brooded, and already I must turn under my fields and prepare for the next season. How I hate to sow, how I hate to tend the fields, but I love to harvest. So the farmer decided then and there that he would no longer sow or water or weed. He would only harvest. The farmer returned to his fields. There he found grain the gatherers had missed and fruit the pickers had not been able to reach. So the farmer continued to harvest. From now on, said the farmer, every day will be a harvest and every night will be a feast. But the harvest was thin. Each day, as the land grew more and more desolate, the farmer continued to wander through the fields. He plucked an occasional piece of shriveled fruit or picked up a fallen ear of grain. He continued to do what he loved to do until there was nothing left to gather at all. But still, each day he walked through his fields, swinging his scythe over arid ground or tugging at the brittle twigs of a barren tree. 
In the spring, when it was time for the new seedlings to emerge, the farmer's fields were still bare. Seed that had fallen during the harvest could not break through the crusty soil that felt no plow. The few tender plants that emerged soon parched and withered without water. Only thick, thorny weeds could survive. They scratched the farmer's arms and tore at his clothing as he drifted through the fields, still looking for something to harvest. At last, the farmer's children cried out, Alas, father, what have you done to us? You have harvested, but not sown, and now the fields are hard and lifeless. You've gathered the last harvest, and now your children will starve. There's nothing left for us but to move to a new land where the fields are still fertile. So the farmer and his family loaded their wagon and rolled away. Story time with Elizabeth. I mean, I'm here for it. We should make it a regular part of each episode. We should. It's a brilliant story. He's talking about the harvest, which is the fruit of seeing God work in our lives, in our neighbors' lives, and in our neighborhoods, and sowing as that preparatory work. He even defines sowing in a spiritual sense. Tim Down does in his book. He says, the slow, gradual, behind-the-scenes work that prepares a listener or a culture to be able to hear the gospel. And then he goes on later in the book and tells another parable, a parable for our time, where he really draws those connections out and tells the story of basically a Christian who wanted to have a spiritual influence for Christ in his neighborhood, and he does the same thing. And he only wants to talk to people who are spiritually interested. He only wants to talk to people who are kind of ready to hear the gospel. And so then he has to kind of move on. I think at the end of the story, he says, The people's hearts have grown cold. These are surely the end times. I must talk to anyone else who's ready without delay. The Christian heard of a country far away where the people were always willing to listen. If that is where people are ready, then that is where I will go. So the Christian loaded his car and rolled away. So he's drawing that parallel there that sometimes we don't want to have to do that hard work of sewing. We just only want to talk to the people who are spiritually interested. And if they're not, we pack up our car and roll away. Yeah. And I think for a lot of us, the culture, the soil in our neighborhoods, the ground, if you will, is grown hard. And it's the cultural story of neighboring, which leaving your next door neighbor alone. And most of us just aren't equipped. We don't have a vision or a theological foundation to sustain these kind of sowing efforts over time. And you just think about how more and more people are leaving the church and are questioning their faith. We're not engaged in engaging with our neighbors and the culture of our neighborhood. This isn't going to turn around overnight. Like if we just keep trying to harvest, play the movie. There's not going to be any work done to see people come to that place where they're open and we have those relationships built that can sustain the weight of these deeper conversations. But we love immediacy. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, we're used to it with Amazon, same-day delivery. And so why would we be any different in our spiritual lives? We want that same-day delivery and we want to see life change. And if we don't think people are spiritually interested, we just kind of move along. It comes in such a contrast, that way of seeing things, to this idea of sewing. And it makes me think about the video that we watched of the guy in the socks growing weed at home, the tall socks. Remember how he was sewing in his backyard? We show that sometimes when we're speaking on neighboring, and we actually have to like speed it up two times and put music to it because we just can't even sit still. It can't even hold our attention. It's boring. It's boring, right? Yeah. 
But what's so cool about that video... It's not boring, though. It's not. That it shows all of the little steps that he takes and then the time. It's like, you know... In the subtitles. 50 days, 100 days, 150 days, 200 days, 300 days. And he gets to the very end. It's ready to be harvested. It's golden. He clips off one of the heads and he... This tiny little ...rubs it in his hand and the chaff gets kind of blown away. And there is this little wheat berry that he's harvested. And he's so proud of it. And you're kind of proud of it for him. It's exciting. It actually is like, okay, it's not like your grandpa's farm, like you shared about in the last episode, but it's his harvest. Makes me think of this quote by Zach S. Wine, a pastor and author in St. Louis. He says, everybody wants to do big things famously as fast as possible, but it's often that God calls us to small things that mostly go unnoticed over a long period of time. And I know for us, it's been these ordinary sewing things that we've done over time that have made the biggest difference in building relationships with our neighbors and strengthening and seeing the common good come to our neighborhood. So for you, you even said from the very beginning, it was boring. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) So let's dig into that a little bit. What is challenging for you about the ordinariness of neighboring? I think it's challenging for all of us, but for you. Yeah, I think for me, when I started growing in my faith and God really started changing my life, he used a woman named Jane to really have a big impact on me and to teach me about God's grace and teach me how to study the Bible and taught me really how God's word applied to all areas of my life. My life started to change and then I wanted to have an impact for him. I was in a sorority at Miami of Ohio. I wanted to have an influence there. I wanted to have an influence when I graduated. And so now thinking about having an impact on people and just sharing what Jesus has done in my own life, I can kind of get in that trap of like, oh, I want to do big things for God. And the reality is a lot of life happens in those ordinary in-between moments. I even think back to being a young mom, and I was at a missions conference, and one of the speakers said, I don't want to just bake cookies for God. I want to be on mission. And she started unpacking what she considered to be mission-critical tasks. As a young mom, I was drowning in diapers. I think I had just baked cookies for my neighbors. I was like, I thought that was on mission. And you felt really good about it. I mean, yeah. And so it felt like, oh, gosh, these sewing steps aren't maybe as valuable. And I knew that wasn't true, but there was kind of that sacred split of what counts and what doesn't count. And it was discouraging and it was deflating. One of the things that has helped us continue on with these ordinary actions and not do that sacred secular split is to remove the word just from our neighboring vocabulary. You could easily say, oh, It's just baking cookies for the neighbors. It's just a wave. It's just a smile. It's just a little fish fry. When the reality is those things are the means that God uses. You don't just end up in relationships with your neighbors or in spiritual conversations or in close relationships. Those things happen through the just baking cookies. So what if you remove the word just and it wasn't just baking cookies and saying hi, it was baking cookies and saying hi to your neighbor. It isn't just an introduction. It's learning your neighbor's name. And I think that it changes everything. 
I think it's because when we create these sacred secular splits in our minds of what is and isn't valuable work in the kingdom of God, then we disconnect from the hard work that God has right in front of us. Yeah, we think it's somewhere out there, but really God is calling us to those sowing ordinary things right where he's placed us. So where have you seen this for yourself? Oh, man. I mean, and I think this is why we wrote Placed for a Purpose is because we were engaging in these types of sewing activities, helping out at our block party, for example. It was a lot of work. A lot of serving. A lot of serving. And we had neighbors jumping in and help too. But it's like we're out there serving, picking up trash, setting up a popcorn machine. And I love to serve too. You're doing all these things and you're engaging in some small talk, but you're not having these super deep (laughs) connections. But you're building relationships. And I just remember after one of these nights, it's like we got done cleaning up and everything and came in and sat on the couch and was just like, is any of this count? Is any of this doing anything? Is it worth it? Should we keep doing this? Because I'm exhausted. Oh, our feet hurt so bad at the end of those (laughs) block parties. And yet, when we look back, we could probably trace almost every relationship every friendship that we've built in our neighborhood to one of those little street parties. But in the moment, it's really hard if you're not valuing those things. And we've mentioned Dave Runyon in his book, The Art of Neighboring. Well, he was quoting Eric Swanson in his book, To Transform a City, and he talked about having ultimate motives versus ulterior motives. Which has been super helpful. Super helpful to help us value those ordinary steps along the way. Otherwise, you're just doing a bait and switch, treating people like projects, but it's helpful to have some language. And some categories to think in. So we want to have ultimate motives, which is meaning we ultimately desire for our friends and family and neighbors to come into a relationship with God through Jesus. So we're going to enjoy their friendship. We're going to hope and pray and look for opportune times to talk about our faith in real normal ways, but we're also going to talk about other stuff because we're going to care about their studies and their hobbies and families and jobs, the whole thing. We're going to value and enjoy the whole thing. We're not going to have ulterior motives. Right. Ulterior motives are where we treat people like projects. We're only interested if they're spiritually interested. Any act of friendship or love or service is done exclusively for the goal of getting them to church. Yeah, and there can be this sneakiness to our neighboring if we're having neighbors over just to get in the church invite. And if we don't, then it didn't count. And if we did and they're not interested, we're moving on. So for some of us, and we've said this before, but we need help valuing the small steps. For others of us, those small steps seem huge. But either way, where ultimate motives come in is that I think they can help us know that the whole process is important work. It's part of the mission of God. And it helps us push through some of those awkwardness or fears when we know that whatever it is, baking cookies, an introduction, a hello, all the things, that those are valuable. And just going back to the story, if we keep showing up, hoping for God to work, and if we don't see it immediately, we just kind of move on, that's not sustainable. What was so cool about hearing this and grasping it and applying it is then at these events where we're serving, I just remember feeling so much more freedom. 
I wasn't feeling the pressure to be like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I doing the enough? right thing? Am I doing enough? Is this counting? I just got to enjoy serving, interacting, saying hello, building those relationships and knowing, hey, we're here for the long haul and I'm going to see these neighbors again and we're going to have that much more in common and that much more relational capital built because of these three or four hours that we got to hang out at this event and block party. And I think that's freed our neighbors up too, hopefully, because they know that we're believers. Probably a lot of them know that we would love for them to know Christ, but yet they know that we're not in it for the snapshot or the moment. We're in it for the long haul, and we care about them either way, all of them. So as we think about doing some of these sewing activities in our neighborhood, we've broken them into three categories, initiate, serve, and cultivate. So this is kind of the watering, weeding, right? Yes, this exactly. is the tending. Yep. So the initiate category is kind of that first step, right? And it's super important because taking the initiative is really one of the most powerful things that we can do in our neighborhoods. And it doesn't have to be mind-blowing, but it can feel kind of vulnerable. I just want to say that because even when we first started, we both kind of felt like, okay, no one appointed us as the mayors of Wyndham Ridge. No one put us in charge. So is it okay to plan some of these things? And then turns out people were just kind of waiting for someone else to take the initiative. So it could be taking the initiative in a lot of different ways to pray for your neighbors. It could be taking the initiative to introduce yourself or reintroduce yourself. Sound like a broken record sometimes, but names are super valuable. I use notes a lot on my iPhone and I will write out my neighbor's names or their kids' names. And if it's a name that's difficult to pronounce, I'll write it out phonetically. Like our neighbor, Zeprada. <laughs> and it's said just like that. She taught me how to say it. And so I wrote it in my phone. And every time I see her, I kind of yell to her, Zeprada. And she loves that. We love to hear the sound of our names and she feels known and seen. And it's just, it's awesome. But you kind of have to make an effort. That's that taking the initiative, even with something so simple as a name, it can be really powerful. Yeah. Serving is another great way to till the soil of your neighborhood. And again, not just doing the serving, but also being served is another great way, like we talked about in showing hospitality. We actually, our next door neighbor has really bad grass allergies, and I get really bad migraines in the summer when I mow our lawn with the push mower. And so she had a riding lawnmower. And so she said, hey, if you could mow my lawn and use the riding lawnmower, you could then use it on your lawn so that you don't get my win-win. Yeah, it's a win-win. And it's been just a way that we've connected and built a relationship. Maybe you have a certain expertise that you could offer to help, but then there might be other people in the neighborhood that have expertise that you could ask for help. Our other next door neighbor is a therapist. And I always joke with her that by the time we finish talking. I'm like, is this a session? Do I need to put a check in the mail? But even though we come from different perspectives, we believe with Henry Cloud that all truth is God's truth and that there's expertise she has to offer. Absolutely. And so lastly, cultivating. So these are kind of these events that we call them excuses, big or small. The tending. Building those relationships, starting them and then continuing them on. One of the best neighboring tools that we have is our portable fire pit. 20 bucks at Walmart, and we put it out in our driveway because it opens up into the neighborhood. 
we set out some chairs and you get a fire and some s'mores going. It's like moth to flame, like all the neighbor Mice kids to peanut butter. come out and then their parents follow. And we've had some great conversation and connection over a fire pit, just even a weekday night. Sometimes it's a weekend night. Other things that we've tried are based on some of the things we like to do. So for instance, one of the things I've started to do with the guys in our neighborhood is do a Hot Ones challenge once a year. Hot Ones is a YouTube show where the host and a guest, a celebrity guest, eat hot wings that go from one to 10 spice level. And he asks these really funny questions as they get higher and higher. And the poor guest is just dying because it's so spicy. But we get a bunch of hot wings and we get a lineup of the sauces and we get together and we burn your faces off. Burn our faces off. Why do you do this? Because it's fun and it builds camaraderie and community. But it's just such a fun event. There's so much relational capital. And you've gotten to build relationships with people that you never would have otherwise and strengthen relationships with other neighbors that have become good friends, which for you as a context person, that's something you love about neighboring, the ongoing, <laughs> the right? ongoingness. There are literally endless ways that we can cultivate relationships with yeah. our neighbors. And I think they vary by life stage, by temperament, by even things like limitations or just wirings in our personality, like you said earlier, what we like to do. So whether it's asking someone to go for a walk, like, I mean, for me, that's something I already need to be doing. So why not go with a neighbor? I love holidays. I love a calendar because it's like, okay, I can plan this and then be done with it. And it provides relational connection for me and other people. I mean, I've seen people do like a monthly coffee and donuts outside their house. Like on a Friday morning before school. Yeah. And people just kind of know that's what happens. Yeah. Or spaghetti nights. I mean, it's almost not worth mentioning a hundred different things because just do what you would want to do. It is valuable to do things outside of your wiring, but I don't think it's sustainable. If you're going to be involved with neighboring over the long haul, there has to be some fitting into your life stage and what you enjoy. Yeah, it's good. So this week, let's remember to have ultimate motives, valuing people and our neighbors, not as projects, but as people. Let's remove the word just from our neighboring vocabularies and value each step in the process with people, knowing that God is at work through every single ordinary step we take towards our neighbors. Thanks for tuning in. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on today's episode, or let us know other topics related to neighboring you want to talk about, or follow the link in the show notes to share a neighboring story with us. Tell us what you're trusting God for in your neighborhood and how you're seeing God at work. You can also follow Placed for a Purpose on Instagram, and you can help others find us by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this episode with a friend. Mm-hmm.